Well, hey, good morning. We're grateful that you joined us for worship today. Would you open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 19? We're going to continue our series on the book of Peter called Stand Firm. Stand Firm. And today we're going to talk about reverent fear. There's a certain type of fear, a healthy fear, that we need to live in this world in order for us to be the children of God. Now, I'm not talking about irrational fear. That would be called a phobia, right? The National Institute of Mental Health, they say about 12.5% of adults living in the United States uh, carry around some mental anxiety uh, called phobias. And phobias, it usually results in nausea, trembling, uh, a rapid heartbeat, a feeling of uncertainty or unreality, and really being preoccupied with the object of our fear. A phobia is an overwhelming or debilitating fear, usually of something that poses no real danger or threat at all. Like for myself, I'm deathly afraid of heights. I think they call it uh, acrophobia, where I'm just deathly afraid of um, anything that has to do with heights. I think three stories, about 30 feet, and I get uh, pretty shaky. My knees, I get this overwhelming sense, that sensation that I'm about to fall. And it only took six feet for me to break my wrist, so my phobia is confirmed. But anyways, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 to 19, we'll go ahead and uh, continue with Peter's encouragement. Let's go ahead and read verse 17. It says, And if you call on Him, there's the operative word there, we call on Him as what? As Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without a blemish or spot. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we invite you right now because we need you. Lord, would you convince us and persuade us through your Holy Spirit that these are not man's opinions, that this is not... Uh, my preference, O oh Lord Jesus, but this is the inspired, God-exhaled, God-breathed Word of God. So, Lord, would we welcome it as truth? Would you give us, Lord, a, a mind to understand? Give us hands and feet to live them out so that we could be more like you in everything that we do. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we come now to the third command in 1 Peter chapter 1. Remember verses 1 through 12, it's one long sentence in the Greek that um, it is a celebration of what God has done to make us His own forever. And in verse 13 comes the first command. I titled it, Go for Broke Hope, right? Where Peter says, put your whole completely on the grace that will be revealed to you when Jesus Christ comes back. That's the first command. The second command we talked about last week where we have a holy calling that uh, Peter says, be holy for I am holy. That's the second imperative in this chapter. 
And today we're going to talk about the third imperative or the third command, which is to conduct yourselves with fear. So we could narrow this down to live in hope, live in holiness, and live in fear. And here's the main point that I want us to uh, live out this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you write this down? Living in the fear of God confirms that you are a child of God. That was good. Let me repeat that again. Living in the fear of God, this reverence and awe of who God is, it confirms that you are a child of God. Now, with each one of these commands, we move further and further and, and further away from uh, the temperament of this world or from the culture of this world. What I mean to say is this, church, is that, you know, the first command is what? Set your hope fully. It's like, okay, we all could use hope. We all need hope. And hope is something that's like everybody's okay with. Hope in your personal beliefs, hope in whatever. But it's like generally the culture is like, yeah, be a hopeful person. You need hope to live in this world. And last week we, we talked about uh, live in holiness. And okay, it, it went, it's close to the heart. It's super relevant. Then we're now talking about holiness. I'm like, okay, most Christians would like, yes. Okay, holiness, I got it because God is holy, so we should be holy. But now we're in this third command of Peter where he says, live in fear throughout the time of your exile here on earth. And this is where it gets a little bit hard. This is where it seems that this sense of this idea of fear and living in fear, we associate it right away with phobia, this irrational um, fear that we have, we, we translate that to our relationship with God. But I want to plead with you uh, this morning that you recognize that growing deeper and stronger as a Christian comes, listen, not by choosing the to embrace only those biblical teachings that we like or the biblical teachings that were that are easy for us and that's comfortable for us listen we don't grow that way in the same way that you don't grow healthy and strong and your blood you have a healthy blood count healthy blood level by eating spam musubis all day and chicken adobo all day that or pork gesantes, right? That steady of diet, you are not going to grow healthy. It may be comfort food. It may be comfortable for you. But in order for us to be healthy and to be vibrant in our life, to feel good, to amp up our metabolism, we need superfoods. We need kale, right? <laughs> we need arugula. We need uh, vegetables. It may not taste good. We may not like it, but these are the things that are necessary. And and today, we're going to talk about that living in the fear of God, it confirms that you are a child of God. And I have one main point for us uh, this morning. Would you uh, write this down on your notes? Be afraid that you are accountable in how you live your life as a Christian. Be afraid. Be concerned. 
be cautious, be reverent that you and I were accountable in how you live your life as a Christian. Verse 17, it starts off with this if and then clause, right? If you call on God as Father, then you will live in fear. There's this condition, and if you meet this condition, then you live in reverent fear. What is the condition? If you call on God as Father, you notice it doesn't say if you call on God as the, the big man upstairs. If you call on God as the deity of the universe. If you call on God on the spirit of aloha and unity and lokahi and oneness. It doesn't say if you call on the mythical genie up in the sky. But it says if you call on God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel, the first, the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. If you call on God as your Father, this intimate personal relationship with God, if you do this, then you will live in fear in all your conduct. There's this fallacy. Remember what a fallacy is? It's a, a myth that's perpetuated. There's this myth that we are all God's children. Church, I love you and I care for you and I'm telling you the truth. We are not all God's children. We are all God's creation. We've all been created by God, because, but we are not all God's children. The Bible makes it very clear in John chapter 1, verses 11 to 12. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to those who receive him, to those who believe in him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God. What gives us the right to become God's children? If we call on the name of God, John says, if we receive him, what does it mean to receive him? The epexegetical clause, meaning an uh, explanatory clause or explanation clause, he says to receive him is to what? Believe in the name of Jesus. If we are to live in the name of Jesus, then we are to conduct ourselves, the way that we live our lives, the way that we talk, in our thought life, in our priorities, in our ambitions, in the way that we spend our time, in the way that we use our money, in the way that we spend our leisure. We're to conduct ourselves. If we call God Father, we conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile here on earth. Remember, it goes back from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, to the elect exiles, that we are not, earth is not our home, that we belong to another place. We belong to another home, and that is heaven. Look at how um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11, it says, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to you in your conscience. You see, even Paul here, his understanding is that we aim to please God, whether we're at home with Jesus, when we die and we're in heaven, we're going to try to please Him. But while here on earth, away from our home, our aim is to please God. Why do we please God? Because we, we all have to face the judgment seat of Christ. And from the judgment seat of Christ, Paul says in verse 11, then we have the fear of God. You might be asking, why? So I'm supposed to be afraid of God because I'm supposed to be judged? I thought that's why Jesus came. So I have to be afraid, I have to be concerned. There's no security that because I believe Jesus, I'm going to heaven. Does it mean that I have to start working now and start going to church and, and serve and give and um, volunteer and all these different things? In the Bible, there are two judgments. The first judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is for all believers. It's a rewards. It is a time where God will reward those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Jesus this morning, you have a reward. When you pass away or when Christ returns, the judgment seat of Christ is a time where God will reward fellow believers for their works and how they live their lives. But there's a second judgment and that is the great white throne judgment. And that white throne judgment is for unbelievers, it's for everybody else. They won't be rewarded, but they will be judged or punished or condemned for not believing in Jesus. So I put here a couple, a, a graph of the judgment seat of Christ versus the great white throne judgment. So which Bible verses describe the event? Well, the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. We just read that. It's also found in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Remember, this is a reward for those who believe in Christ of their good works. The great white throne judgment, it's for unbelievers. It's in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne... In him who was seated on it, from his presence, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done, or they had not done. In receiving Jesus. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. De death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then, the, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's go into the next slide here. So who will be judged? 
the judgment seat of Christ, it's believers. In the great white throne judgment, they're unbelievers. Who will be the judge in these two judgments? It's Jesus Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, and the great white throne judgment is Jesus also. What is the purpose of these judgments? Well, the judgment seat of Christ, it's to reward the faithful service of God's children. Jesus says, not even a cup of cold water, if you give it unto my name, it will not go unrewarded, meaning God will reward even a cup of cold water given to Jesus in love, God will remember. But the great white throne judgment, it's to settle accounts against those who rebel against God's righteousness. So what will be the criteria or the standard for judgment? Well, in the judgment seat of Christ, there will be no condemnation. Romans 8.1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Faithful believers, believers will receive rewards for their service to the Lamb. But in the great white throne judgment, everyone who is spiritually dead, who has not put faith in the Lamb, will be judged. There will be no defense and no appeal. What will be the outcome? Well, in the judgment seat of Christ, any good works done in the name of Jesus Christ will be rewarded as a prelude to eternity spent in the presence of God. In the great white throne judgment, the spiritually dead will be thrown into the lake of fire, eternally separated from God's presence. Let's go to the next one. Would all those judge receive equal treatment? Well, in the judgment seat of Christ, each person's motives, desires, and reason for serving God will be judged. This is important now. Works rooted in pure motives will be rewarded. All others will be burned. Wow, 1 Corinthians 13. But in the great white throne judgment, all who stand before the judge at the great white throne will be condemned but the fire will be hotter for some more than others. Meaning there's like a garden variety sinner who just kind of ignored God the rest of their life, but there are others who completely in rebellion, like absolute worst that they could be. They just murderers, liars, thieves. These are kind of hardcore and their punishment will be more severe. Now in the great white throne judgment, will it be fair? No. Why? Because all believers will stand blameless before the throne because of Jesus' righteousness. It's been imputed on us, which delivers them from punishment and their sin deserves. In the great white throne judgment, yes, anyone who has rejected God's gift of salvation will receive the due punishment for their sins. And finally, in the judgment seat of Christ, what should we do about it now? We should serve God faithfully. I'll put in there in parentheses, in fear, if you're taking notes. And in light of eternity, do not judge others. Trust God's perfect wisdom and judgment. And if you're not in Christ this morning, if you've just been playing church, if you've been going to church but have never surrendered your life, I encourage you to repent and believe in the gospel. 
do not wait. You will, there may not be another chance. So what is the application? The application is live in fear knowing that we are accountable in how we live our lives here on earth as Christians. Earlier last week, we get a call from our property manager at our the home that we're renting at. Around June last around June earlier this year, uh, the homeowner decided to paint the house and people were asking questions They're like, no, 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 you know what? They're not going to sell, you know. Um, we've been here for nine years. They love us. We love them. He says, you know, I'm one of his best uh, renters. And then uh, last month, they decided to tent the house and have do termite treatment. And then I started getting a little bit cautious. And then two weeks ago, I saw the property manager taking pictures of the house. I think we took too, too good of a care of it and we took, we stewarded it really well and we made it nice. We chose the color, we made it blue with white accent and you know, we've lived there for nine years. And the property manager said, hey, John, I got some bad news. Just wanted to let you know that we're gonna have to eventually, um, the owners of the property, uh, the daughter, wants to get married and they looked at the house. They wanted to live in like Kaka'ako before and wanted to have that, uh, you know, that nightlife with the cool restaurants and the nightlife and all that stuff. But they saw the house and they really like it and they want to move there um, April when they get married, 2022. So you have five months basically to look for a place. And Renee and I were completely devastated you know, this is the house where Ezra was born. This is the house that my boys are growing and becoming men. This is the house where we had um, staff meetings for church. We had online worship, uh, online worship service there. We had worship rehearsals there. We have uh, our youth group there at our home. And it, we were just so shocked and we were grieved. I, I, we kind of knew it was coming and... <clears throat> In the process of our grieving and talking it out with my wife, you know, we're trying to look for different places. And anyways, as we're talking, we're just like, man, I'm kind of sick and tired of just of living on the whim of a, of, of a homeowner. And they just like, uh, they just want to, oh, yeah, we decide we like it. We want to move out in Kulio'o instead. And we're just like, this is so frustrating. And we were just talking about, man, what do we want? And we talked about, man, I just want a house. And we just want to have um, a single family home where we could raise our family. And, and the more we started talking, the more, yeah, that would be so nice. You know, like in the mainland, like a 400, even a $300,000 home, you could get a five bedroom, three bath, depending on what state you're at. And, you know, there, in Vegas, in the Ninth Island, you could buy a single family home for like under 300,000 over here. You can't even get a studio. And we're just kind of lamenting the fact of the high cost of living over here. And we just kind of got discouraged. But the more I started realizing 
listen, that we started longing for comfortability. We started longing for um, a sense of home. We started longing for a sense of permanence and we're going to put down our tent pegs. We're going to, you know, um, establish and settle our roots. And we just want to settle down. And then I thought about 1 Peter 1, that we are, if we call on God as Father, then we are to live in reverent fear here on earth. And we, Renee and I, we started discussing, like, babe, remember how about seven years ago, eight years ago, we could have, you could have went full time into the marketplace. We could have doubled our income and we would have um, saved up more money, but we chose to invest in our children and homeschool them. We chose the good portion uh, because we were church planning that time. We had set up on Saturday, we had set up on Sunday, and the kids' weekends would be like church days and be work days for us, and we couldn't, we didn't want our kids to resent the church, and so I was like, we'll homeschool them so that when we work on Saturday and Sunday, we'll have family day um, together and there'll be Sabbath, we'll build relationships. And we started weighing out the good portion that, and the truth, I'm like, man, I must be careful because I don't want to make the earth my home. First Peter chapter one, verse one, that we are elect exiles. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe Christians should be homeowners. I believe Christians should own property and have small businesses and do well financially and, um, and thrive and flourish in what God has called us to do. But what I am saying is this, that this mentality, this uh, uh, paradigm of being comfortable and being settled and this is permanence, this is forever, but if I call God my Father, I'm to live in reverent fear here on earth that in my time of exile, that I only have a short life to live, that money comes and goes, properties come and go, your jobs come and go, but the only thing that will last is God. The only thing that will last is the kingdom of God. And I started to examine myself of the importance of living in fear. I've been, God has given me 24 hours a day, just like everybody else, just like you. And what are you going to do with your time? Is there any discernible priorities between you and someone who doesn't call God the Father? Are you and I living in reverent fear or are we too comfortable? Are we too at home where we pursue ease, where we pursue comfort and we're not living in fear? I think as we wrap this up and as we come to a close, uh, the movie Schindler's List, where Oscar Schindler, he already saved 1,200 Jews. And as he was about to exit out of Germany, for treason and for what he's done. All the Jews were lined up 
all the ones that he was able to save, families, whole families he was able to save. And as he was walking, they gave him a ring that says, whoever saves one life saves the world entire. And Oscar Schindler, overwhelmed and overcome with grief and mourning and regret, he looked at his car and he, he looked at this car, this car. Why do I need a car this big? Why do I need a car this fancy? I could have saved 10, 10 more Jews and this pin. This pin, this is at worth, this is worth at least two more Jews. I don't, this is gold. I could have traded this. I could forego this in order that I could save people. This, this jacket, this is, this coat that I have, I could have saved some. I don't need this. I don't need two coats. And this is the word picture that I want us to walk away with this morning in, in having a reverent fear that life is short, life is temporary. And we are, if we call God the Father, we are to live in reverent fear that we don't waste our way, our life on things. And we don't waste away our life on possessions and, and stuff and materials and accomplishments and degrees. That we're to live in fear as a sojourner here on earth. That I have to give an account. As a Christ follower, I have to be, I'm going to stand before the white the, on the judgment seat of Christ. And in the judgment seat of Christ, I will have to give an account on how I lived my life, on the time that I spent and utilizing my talents and my gifts and my abilities and how I loved Renee and how I brought up and raised Judah, Noah, and Ezra. And I have to give an account to that. And I, I an overwhelming sense of fear. So may I encourage you, church, if you call on God the Father, then live in reverent fear that we must be careful that we don't waste our way, our lives on the temporary passing pleasures of this world. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that your word is active. It's alive. It's sharper than two -ended, any two-edged sword, that it cuts through hardness of heart. It cuts through unbelief. So, Lord, I pray that there would be a Holy Spirit persuasion, a Holy Spirit conviction, Lord, to love you, to follow you, to make our lives count for you, that we would not, at the end of our lives, live in regret because we lived our lives here with fear, knowing that we have to give an account to you. So, Lord, we thank you that our lives matter, that our lives have meaning, depth, and purpose in you, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us, you guys. Um, we're so glad that you're persevering and you're faithfully engaging in our series in 1 Peter. If you're able to join us, we'd love to see you 5 p.m. tonight at the Academy Learning Hub. Love you guys. Have an amazing week.